once more. Welcome to or welcome to the Hypnodiversions podcast. My name is J. Robert Parker, joined today by Molly Lou and Jess. How are you guys doing? Welcome back. Good. So, how's everyone's week been going? Everyone doing interesting, fun things, all of that good stuff. Uh, Molly, you've been working on something interesting with resources. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been working on creating more resources in my blog. And the one that I'm working on specifically right now is creating like a, a list of different options for people to get diagnosed online because resources are so hard to come by in a lot of areas, especially like a specialist that can actually recognize different neurodivergences. Um, and like the different information about it, like some of them take insurance, some of them have like membership plans and whatnot. And then like some of them can prescribe from online because they have like in each state in order to prescribe, you have to have a prescribing physician or psychologist in the state to do it. Right. right? So you can't across states. So it's really awesome to have like these resources. Um, and ADHD and autism in particular, like I'm, I've realized how many of them, like looking at the ones that are, you know, you hear advertisements for constantly, they don't really diagnose neurodivergence. It's like anxiety and grief. Depression. And, right, right, exactly. right. But they're very specific ones for ADHD and autism. Yes. Like they're individual too, which is funny because they're it's, well, the thing so I see well. advertised a lot, and we're not gonna name any specific company right. names, but you know if if you use watch YouTube or anything like that, what companies are really pushing it. Or listen to podcasts. And a lot of them are advertised. They, they really front load anxiety and depression. Let's <laughs> treat your anxiety and depression. And, and that's the thing kind of just speaking for myself almost all of my clients have anxiety or depression that's not the problem the anxiety and the depression are symptoms yes. and well, so right you have to distinguish yeah why, why not, are you not everyone has a chemical imbalance yeah. actually it most can't... people don't have a chemical imbalance right that's so yeah. we have to differentiate rare. the people who actually have a chemical imbalance and really do need medication yeah. to help mm -hmm. them regulate versus people who could be drastically helped and their lives improved by other interventions and learning mm -hmm. tools that they can carry forward the rest of their lives. And even those with, with clinical depression, with clinical anxiety, like these are brought about by, by, actual chemical imbalances mm -hmm. there are still things that you can do to right. improve that situation right like, the meds alone hardly ever yeah. solve the, the, they're the not symptoms. the solution right exactly for anything though really. no like, yeah even like let's look at like blood pressure medication right like mm -hmm. my husband was on had really high blood pressure right then he finally dealt with diagnosis got on a stimulant, he got on Adderall and his blood pressure just dropped into normal range. He was, he was really wow. nervous about it going really high yeah. 
because it's a stimulant, right? Mm -hmm. But he was so much less stressed out because he was treating his... He was like, functioning better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And, that, that really and to understand those symptoms. nuances, like finding yeah. a doctor who understands those nuances yes. and looks at you as a whole person, that holistic approach, right, yes. is yeah. so vital and yet so hard to find. Right. Yes. And, and particularly... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, too, like, we were going back to that, like, the treatment thing with it, right? Like, I'm on Adderall as well. And I remember when I first got on it at 17, right? It was completely a different experience than now because I learned how to be on Adderall, right? But they don't give you these, like, nobody actually teaches you. Even mm -hmm. I was in therapy for most of that time, especially in my early years. And like prescribed by the, the therapist, right? And they didn't teach me how to use Adderall appropriately. So I didn't realize it, but I was definitely abusing it to some degree because I thought the solution was more Adderall, right? I thought Same. like I was more that drugs. broken that I need to keep upping my dose. And now Same. I'm actually on the dose that I started at, at 17. <laughs> and, but you have to like, you have to build the skills and the tools to supplement the medication, they work in tandem. You can't just be like, I have ADHD, this medication will turn it off. And that's and really part of the problem with the culture that exists is, and it's, mm -hmm. when you look at the advertisements, which for, I'm kind of baffled that we can advertise drugs on television, but- You can't uh, in all countries though, right? No, 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 no. You can in the United pharma. States, but in a lot of countries you cannot. Yeah. Well, and every, everyone listening in the United States and anyone listening outside is going to be absolutely baffled by this. But one of the, the familiar cultural things about living in the U.S. is seeing that commercial that lists one or two things that a drug helps and spends the next three minutes listing side effects while, right. while showing you a picture or a video of somebody running through a field of daisies explaining how this thing for restless leg syndrome may or may not give you a heart attack or stroke well, and it just does a natural thing it's weird and i one of the big things that that i never understood until i lived where i lived is accessibility of care because yes. i grew up in a major metropolitan city and everything was everywhere 24 hours didn't matter what you needed there was a 24-hour always accessible version of it now i live in a town of a thousand people with the closest actual thing that qualifies to as a city being an hour away there is no like medical care is difficult to come by mental health care practically unheard of it is mm. not something that you really have access to well, around here even when you do have access to it okay so when i lived in new hampshire where i originally got diagnosed the fucking process to get my prescription like this is for adhd okay right you who i i struggled with it and i still struggle with executive functioning so mm -hmm. the more things there are to do the harder it is the more hoops but to jump through <laughs> make you jump through more hoops to get this prescription so, so that people who don't need it, don't take it, but it also makes it inaccessible to the people that need it. Like literally, I kid you not. So I would have, you could, there's a three day window that you could call it in early. Okay. You had this three day window. 
you would go you would have to call into your doctor who would have to do a written prescription and you just have to hope he's there that day okay right that's it. sign it himself no other doctor can sign it and then you have to go physically pick it up from the hospital okay then you have to physically drop it off at the pharmacy you have to hope that the insurance hasn't decided you need a um a, a generic or oh no a pre-authorization right <laughs> Um, because they randomly surprise you with a pre-authorization that it needs to be done, which means that they have to do back and forth with the doctor again, like three different times between the pharmacy, the insurance company and the doctor. Right. And then they have to actually fill it. And by the time that that like there, every time a pre-authorization needed to happen every three to six months, I would be like, I guess I won't function for the week. Like, because it takes that long and it's totally inaccessible. And how, how is anybody supposed to like the quality of care that that requires is insane. So moving to Vermont, I was like, I can't leave here because my medication's easy to get. Like it's yeah. not easy, but it was functional because they can transfer a lot of that digitally without and having to that run makes around. A difference. Right. You, you mentioned something that I think bears talking about because I know it's a major theme and, in my life, and I'm sure it is in both y'all's, is the executive functioning thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and however you want to refer to that, uh, referring to it as adulting or peopling or whatever have you, uh, oh. it's it's kind of the same thing. Like it's all kind of fun ways to to joke about your difficulties with executive functioning. And humor is all we have. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and. What is executive functioning for for those of us out there that that don't know? I mean, it's 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 what it's said. It's 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 peopling. It's adulting. It's yeah. it's going about your your day to day life. It's that part of your brain that not only makes the decisions for all of the tedious little bullshit that you do all day. It's the part of your brain that then has to get your body to implement it. Mm-hmm. So if you're struggling, the with the right. If you're struggling with executive functioning, like you may find that you'll be sitting there on the couch or something. Man, I really need to get up and do the laundry. Man, I really need to do this. All right, here I go. And nothing happens. I'm gonna check my phone <laughs> real quick. Hours later, you're like, how am I still sitting here? And then you get frustrated a lot of times. And the more frustrated you get, the worse your executive functioning comes in mm-hmm. and, and so many things can make the executive functioning harder and more challenging. And we've been talking about that a lot, like the three of us on the side, right? Mm-hmm. About the emotional, like only re- recently I realized how much emotional labor that I take way too much on personally of. Mm-hmm. It's just my personality, right? Mm-hmm. I think we all do. Yeah. Um, and how that literally will just drain your executive functioning like it's a battery and you're like i guess i'm tapped out i can't right what stories are we telling ourselves around the task at hand too right yeah so well this is anxiety and depression that's related to neurodivergence and that sensitivity like what are we tying that to like there have been times in my life where I go to do a load of laundry and I have a whole existential crisis about what kind of detergent I'm using and how right. much water I'm using. And is it hot or is it cold? Am I like killing the planet? Yeah. Perfectionism and guilt is that anxiety, right? Like yeah. constantly reassessing, like, is this the right one? Because I don't have certainty all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's realizing that 
you won't always have certainty. Yes, and that's one I, as and I, I believe again, this is Rumi because I I find quotes everywhere. But I saw about. something that it was the, the quote was, "If you can see the path ahead of you, then you're on someone else's path," and that kind of showed me. Oh, yeah, that that, so good. It, that that's that's why I love Rumi. Like his stuff always hits yes. right where it needs to, and it's it it made me feel better about being unsure about even being unclear about tasks even it's i'm i'm walking my own i'm doing my mm -hmm. own thing so yeah it's not clear how this is going to work out that's part of the journey expectations can only be applied if you are not walking your own path and so many times on this with my personal experience problems with executive functioning either personally or societally are judged as laziness are oh absolutely they look like externally external yes. well mm -hmm. even in my own house right pat and i okay i guess i'm using his name now my husband and i um we can I edit it out yeah we can we can edit that we'll get it post <laughs> no it's fine i'm pretty sure you could google it and find yeah. it like there's no privacy in the world so mm -hmm. um anyway uh, so we both have it yet. Sometimes we forget and we get frustrated with each other. And I'm like, why can't you just help me with this? Like he's so much bigger than me. So it's so helpful. He does like a lot of the heavy stuff that I can't handle. And I'm like, I just desperately need you to do this. You've said you would do it two weeks. I've been patient. Why? What? Like we'll occasionally even say to each other, like, what's wrong with you? And then we're like, hey, that I conditioning. I personally know what's wrong with you. Yeah, I, I, I already, that's a rhetorical question right now. Right. <laughs> right. And then we're both like, oh, okay. Oh. This is us projecting our own frustrations on each other. Like, because we get it. So mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people listening right now. There's nothing about, wrong with you. Oh, no, there's nothing at all wrong with you <laughs> at all. And, and we all absolutely get it. So, and the more, the harder you are on yourself. With it. This is the one thing that I've learned, okay? The one thing that has changed my life about it, right? The harder you are on yourself, the meaner you are about this, the more you berate yourself in your head and do all that negative self-talk. Like, why can't I do this? What's wrong with me? I'm so lazy, right? That all makes it harder to do the thing because yeah, you're right. draining your battery on emotional labor that doesn't need yes. to happen. You're literally making it impossible for you to do the thing by beating yourself up about it. So, and then you've got negative associations with it the next time yeah. it comes. What? Oh, yes, that's huge. We and haven't aversion, really avoidance aversion of like, mm -hmm. we haven't really discussed self talk at all. And this would be a good time to really touch on that because, speaking for myself, I talk about that a lot with my clients. And it's a big thing. Oh, I thought you were going to say with yourself. And it is a big thing <laughs> with <too>. myself. <laughs> but yeah, that's no, that was one of those big changing things and so what we mean by self-talk is exactly what it sounds like uh for example let's say that you set out to do a thing and you fail how do you talk okay, to yourself at that point we have fail. to define failure yeah. no. you just said fail i want to point out is yeah self yep that's kind of part of the point is <laughs> how do you view that using your language using the the way that you address yourself because the subconscious is interesting in that it 
it doesn't really differentiate between fact and fiction. And it doesn't really, it can't really. It's not that it doesn't, it can't. And so whenever you say things, it listens. It takes that as the truth. So if you mm -hmm. tell yourself you failed, if you tell yourself you suck, you can't, you won't, you shouldn't, it believes those things. And so when you tell yourself, let's say you have to do laundry and it's bad and you sit here and you tell yourself, oh, this laundry is going to suck. It's going to take hours. I'm going to be miserable and hot. Guess what? Yeah. It sucks. It takes hours and you're miserable and you're yep. hot. 100%. You wrote that story. You wrote you that, wrote that story. story. Yes. And that is manifesting. You manifested it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, Absolutely. And so the other day, right? Like, we, I even if, what? Was oh, I was talking? just thinking, but when we can catch ourselves, here's yes. another thing that can happen. You catch yourself and you're like, then you beat yourself up. Mm -hmm. for having done it you correct yourself but and, they, and then beat yourself up more like i'm so disappointed yes. in myself for being mean yeah i, I told like, myself i suck i'm so disappointed yeah yeah and so you, it's like really training yourself and that's what it is passionate it's I a training passionate like, to give yourself grace yeah, yeah. like treat yourself like a fragile little flower like you know <laughs> it's so precious yeah like i started to say the way you would talk to a child or a puppy but not well, everybody does that kindly either well, so if you're struggling you talk you're more likely you going to be frustrated with a child or a puppy for doing something imperfect yes oh well and i don't know where i was going never mind oh, that's fun i that's what i tell my clients though i tell them usually after i get to know them a little bit so i know that they aren't the type of person they would be a negative suggestion for to to really screen everything in terms of self-talk through would you say that to a child how would you feel if that was said to you as a child and really well, it was or, or likely <laughs> that's was thing. yeah that's voice. the funny thing I, that's and, what i always say to people though the voice that you talk to your child with becomes the voice inside their head when they mm -hmm. get older. Yeah, 100%. And I'm, I, one of the things I like to have people observe is who is the voice in your head and what are is they this like? Yours? Is it yours? And is it kind? And mm. I've, I've sometimes had people say the voice inside their head is not their own, that it is often a parent or a sibling or a, a former teacher. significant other yeah. teacher. Right. And, all those imprints and it really that's the thing i've come to realize like with my own kids and in myself is how much our experiences imprint because mm -hmm. i have teachers from decades decades ago that i still remember things they yeah. said to me yeah I, or I, you I, think deeply about them and you're like i really hope they're doing well yeah. because it changed my fucking life by oh, yeah. treating me like a human i there are specifically three teachers I can name because I was a weird kid in high school and in school in general that legitimately made a difference on my life. And I still have that impact today. And it's it's one of those things that you really have to consider, like the impact that you have on others, the impact that others have on you. And it's... So I 
call these adults, especially with children, I created a whole term for them because of how powerful it was in my life, right? And I call them mm. catalyst adults, right? Because I think of when I, shout out to Miss Chang Nielsen, who taught fifth grade. <laughs> she literally like was my best friend for a while. Like I would spend Aww. my weekends helping her in the classroom because- Miss Mog sad in high school. Yeah. <laughs> It's like the safe place that I could go. I would go, I would go to the playground. I would go up the fire escape and knock on the door and she would let me in. That's and then awesome. I would help her like do stuff. Um, and I remember that being like a year of peace in that mm. classroom, you know? Um, also she introduced me to astrology, which was cool, but it's <laughs> like, you know, you think of all these people, these little touchstones that made it possible for you to not sink down to rock bottom, yeah. right? Like mm -hmm. the people that gave me hope are the reason that I'm here today and able to give other people hope. Yeah, and right. it's important, especially when we're struggling with with self-talk, with, right. so, with just getting the laundry done to, to remember those, those there's people. There's a great reframe though. Yeah. So like, instead of asking, how would you talk to your kids? Maybe you also ask, was there a person in your life that was that touchstone that was yeah. that like um person who got you through a tough time how would that person talk yeah to well you? how would that person well, address you yeah. and we have to remember the negativity bias that our brain has so that's going to be manual it's not going to be automatic oh, yeah. because right it's yeah. the amount of experiences you've had like most of us you like you know thankfully things are changing now and like our kids are getting a, a on average i think a better start because we're more educated. Mm. But like growing up in the latchkey era, it was like, this is what you did. This was the choice. There mm. was no other resources. There was two books out for parenting. Yep. And they were right. the same And the internet was non-existent. Right. Yeah. So, so nobody understood. They just didn't yeah. use the common knowledge that they had and they all parented similar. So like most of us have that voice in our heads. And the other thing that's really important, right? it's okay to share that out loud sometimes, right? Like I find I'm hearing this voice and if it's affecting me outwardly, I have two options. If it's somebody that I, I'm friends with and feel safe with, I can just be like, oh man, I'm really having a hard time with this. And that really helps erase the voice because it's soothing and comforting right. and I'm reaching out. Or I can clam up and withdraw and I probably will avoid that person a little bit because I associate it with them. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how just naming it out loud, maybe it's like just my personality as well, but naming it out loud often like really changes the experience because yeah. it stops you from ruminating on it. Well, right. And you realize half the time how silly it is when you see the reaction of the other person and they're like, or you can be reminded oh, that's so human. Yeah. Like, right. Well, when they react to you in a way that's obviously um just organic right and they're just like very clearly like oh that's never occurred to me or i struggle with that too you know yeah absolutely and it's it's that relatability that's important and it's i can't tell you how many times i've had a client that i ask the question well what does that mean or what happened and they start to say the words and they stop halfway through and they look at me and go, I have never thought of it like that. Yes. I have 
never yeah. said those words. Because you can think it and it's on the edge of your mind, yep. right? It's on that cusp of your subconscious, but you have to pull it forward to Put it understand into actual words. It, right? Yeah. Like, wow, I realized I've been thinking this on the cusp of my consciousness for years. Mm -hmm. And then I never even thought it didn't actualize until I said it. It's important and there to were give so many, voice. Yeah. Right, because there's so many things we were trained uh, or subtly even taught not to talk about. Yeah. Right? Most things. Anything and that has so to do with our pain. If you were taught to be polite and have a certain kind of etiquette, or as if you were in a culture where children weren't supposed to talk unless they were talked to, mm -hmm. or you're not supposed to talk about money, you're not supposed to talk about sex. So you, there's all these off limits things that you Taboos. can't talk about, right. right? Then you only have your own internal mm -hmm. experience and you're limited what you viewed yeah. of these things. So you have no idea if, if that's normal human experience if that's common if that's like and it's really, here's a hint it's normally a normal human experience yourself, you, uh, all those things expectations of yourself you know all of those things that you think are weird 100 just a human experience <laughs> guarantee weird, you yeah right? all of us every um, single human on this planet is weird as hell i can <laughs> guarantee you that you're it's if they it's, allow themselves to be Right? Oh, behind, on a level, they are, even if it's behind closed I doors. Know, I know a lot of people that are not. Yeah, like, but those are the people that, like, oh, they're miserable. Well, and end up eating birds for a living. Or... <laughs> what? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I, I said those are the people that just end up, like, doing weird things, like eating yard birds for a hobby and things like that. But well, go I have a lot of family that likes to, okay, pretend that they're normal, and they just smother it inside of them and then they don't have close relationships right mm -hmm. like they're not capable of having intimate relationships because they withdraw so much that all of their relationships are superficial like that's yeah. what really happens and and one other thing that i noticed um in parenting is that a lot of parents especially with how busy we are today right a lot of their interactions with their kids are just the criticisms, mm -hmm. just the disciplinary things. And that's how it was growing up for me too, right? It's like, oh, this is my job as a parent, right? To point yeah. out your flaws so you stop doing them. But or to problem yeah. solve. It's like putting out right. fires. Yeah. That's all a lot of parents have time mm -hmm. for. Right, exactly. It's, it's way it's so hands off and not there's no relationship built there, right? So then all they're hearing are the criticisms. So we're, we, in my house, we're trying to be careful with that because especially if you have a neurodivergent child, they're going to have a lot of like little things to criticize. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, know that they know most of it isn't. You're, you're not pointing out anything new. Right. They're pointing it out to themselves in their head, but they did it impulsively or, you know, um, they can't like they, it was just like the, they didn't have another option to replace it with. They didn't know what else to do because you just point out that they can't do the thing and you don't help them figure out what to do instead. Well, one of the things that stuck out was like your kid who, when she was, I think it was sneaking food. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She you was a you, big. Yeah. You could have, though. And I thought about the way I was brought up and I would have just been yelled at, grounded made to feel humiliated ultimately 
rather than explain so what you were thinking you, and feeling. Yeah, let ahead. me give a little context. Yeah. Um, so also, my in my family, right, we're all very advocacy-orientated, especially around neurodivergence for people that are listening. So I have her consent to talk about these things. Um, and I specify before I talk about each individual one. But so we both have ADHD. And we are navigating the impulse control majorly. And one of the things is sugar. Okay. Mm. Because sugar is an instant dopamine hit and it's readily available. And she's at this tween age where she is home for short chunks of time on her own. If I just run down the street to the store or whatever. Um, and I know like, I have to be mindful because when I come back, there's often like shame pudding cups hidden somewhere or like, which we don't, that's just an example. We don't have a lot of pudding in our house. We're we pretty well most of the time, but like, so she messaged me on her like little messenger app on her tablet. And she was like, I'm so sorry. I tried to tell myself to stop eating that little, like little snack well cake thing. But like my brain just like wanted it so bad. And it, before I knew it, I was just eating it. And I was like, I, okay, well, I'll just figure it out with you when we get home. Um, and we did some journal. I had her do some journaling and ultimately she ended up making like a little comic about it so that she could like start to begin to see the patterns and emotion, right. That are happening so that we can come up with some replacements. And, you know, we haven't had a whole lot of success yet. But I has been had a whole lot of time yet. But like the fact that she has that the self awareness exactly. and mm -hmm. that she's communicating effectively about that it. She's that's willfully communicating how she well, feels. Let me, yeah, right. Let me clarify success, okay? She, we've had a lot of success in the sense that we've her as a person, right? Our my goal as a parent is to help my kids become well developed, balanced humans so that they can navigate the world as adults with as little scars as possible and as many tools to navigate it in a healthy way. Whereas I feel like a lot of parents feel like their job is to make sure that their kid is obedient. And that's never oh. my plan, even though it's exhausting and hard, um, because yeah. my kids are just not obedient at all. But that's <laughs> not the goal. So, of course, they're not. I'm not either. Um, and so, like, navigating that, right? Like, most people would be like, what can I do to get the result I want, which is for her to stop doing it, right? Like, how do I get her to stop doing it without looking at, like, that's the external experience you're having. But there's so much more to that, right? There's a there's a right way to do it, like a respect-based way and a fear-based way. And the fear-based way is going to be faster in the short term. But in we'll the long scars. term, you have to look underneath the surface. These are the reasons that we're all so fucked up emotionally. Mm -hmm. You can't tell walking down the street looking at someone. But inside their head, who knows what they're thinking about themselves in their lives? Probably nothing good, yeah. you know? And it all started here where our parents wanted to get the result. They had good intentions most of the time, you know? They wanted that end result of obedience, yeah. right? Uh, or they wanted us to succeed in a world that requires obedience. Obedience. Yeah. So maybe it wasn't conscious, consciously wanting you to be an obedient adult but they wanted, wanted you to, to be successful to in life well, they yeah. wanted you to survive and be successful in this society that we live in right 
And I think though too, that the, the cognitive process of figuring out, okay, I need my child to be obedient. Doesn't, I, I don't think that a lot of parents realize beyond that uh, because they don't think about their child as an adult very often. It becomes yeah, the lens that you view your, your, it's, it's like, it's like self-talk or anything like mm -hmm. that. It becomes the lens with which you view this thing from. And if the lens that you view your child through is only one of obedience and compliance, that's, that's not a relationship. That's not a relationship, and that will be all you see. It will color your the way you see, the way you perceive with that and person. And the things they'll tolerate when they get older. Even exactly. like going back to that simple example of all the parents that, you know, in the 80s and 90s were like more corporal punishment, right? More mm -hmm. physical. Like the hitting and the spanking and the aggression, right? That teaches them that when somebody you love doesn't like what you're doing, they can hurt you. Yeah. And yeah. is that is that what you want them to feel when they're older and having a relationship with anybody else? The, the association is very, very powerful. One of the ones that I never realized that my partner pointed out to me was... In, in America, in Western society, uh, little girls growing up, we teach them that when little boys are mean to them yep. and bully oh. them, that's a sign of affection. They like it's you. It's horrible. Whoa. So, I, I just want to also say about that. I've been talking about this recently with a friend. And um, so when little kids don't know how to express that, they get all awkward and oh, yeah. might Right? I mean, it's understandable where it comes from, but it's well, what it's it teaches. True, but we have to teach more than that. And that's the thing, right? It's we, we simplify things to the point that it's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of teaching, well, they must like you. But they uh, don't know how to communicate teaching, their emotions. Teaching like, that wasn't okay. Yeah. And it sounds like something they were uncomfortable about maybe how they felt with you and they didn't know what to do. Do you think that's possible? Yeah. And open up the conversation. Yeah. Well, teaching kids how to communicate effectively. And yeah. you have to adjust that based on their developmental stage, right? So, like, mm -hmm. simple, but, like, teaching self-advocacy at a very young age instead of that corporal punishment that don't, yeah. you, you know, the you just get punished when we, you don't do what you're supposed to do and you're not allowed to tell anybody if you don't like what's going on. And, and the you world know. is black and white. Yeah. Yes. And and then these mixed messages about, you know, social behavior. So if we can break it down to like, oh, make kids feel comfortable openly communicating and asking questions when they don't understand someone's behavior. Right. And like how my daughter was able to message me before I even got right. home. Yes. Because I made it clear the most important thing Safety to me is that around you're not sneaking around me because I can't help you without it. Yeah. Yes. I can't help you if I don't know how, if I'm not there. And see, Safety my own mother, I remember and this has probably led to a lot of my own personal communication issues, but just as an example. So I remember when I was young, like 11, 12, my mother having a conversation with me about sex and condoms and about how she was a safe place. And if I ever needed condoms or needed to talk to come to her and we would have that discussion. Well, I 16 came around 
and I had that discussion and I got grounded. <laughs> and right. Like she regurgitated something that she thought she was supposed to say without did not planning on following through. And that really it's one of those things that took me a lot of time to figure out how exactly that affected me because it's a memory that stuck out for a very long time. Right. Like now what's your relationship with sex? Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean. For, now, fine. Or with Before, honesty, bad. Now, Before, bad. Okay. Now, yeah, that's the, and that's the thing. Growing up as a young adult, my relationship with sex and honesty, specifically those two things, terrible, absolutely well, terrible, because we make of sex so weird though. With oh kids, yeah, because we don't think of it as a normal human process. We like don't we add all like, this shame. Yeah, shame. Weird. That's the big yeah. thing. Right or like. We do it in subtle ways, right? Where we're like, you know, acting like shocked if you're accidentally, I don't know. We're, I, I'm openly like, I don't wear pants a lot and stuff like that. But like, I know growing up in my house, um, I don't remember seeing my mom ever um, not fully dressed for the day most of the time. Like, very rarely. It, like, yeah, she was in pajamas, but even then they were, like, matching pajama sets. And they were, like, flawless. Mm. I mean, uh, and then I would go to my aunt's house, and she would just, like, walk around naked half the time. Like, she would get out of the shower and, like, walk to the kitchen without a towel on even. And I was like, okay, this is different. And I just... <laughs> but no, but was there ever any discussion around why it was different or why one household had one set of standards Never. for how they presented their bodies versus the other one and then no you know because there's all everybody has their own stories about it and yeah and then there's no explanation for like well right what was i gonna go do go talk to my mom about nudity like that wasn't gonna happen yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and that's you always hear that whole it takes a village to raise a child and like that's part of one of the reasons for that is questions communication teaching all of that so kind of to loop things back i uh i had you present that story about your kid for a reason and we were talking about executive functioning and we were talking about doing the thing basically and if you don't want to do something like let's say you hate doing laundry well your entire life you have just not liked it You've just, that's just been a thought in your head and association. Or you've had a hard time doing yeah. it, right? I don't, I, ha, I have difficulty with this task. Or I'm bad so, at this. So right. why? So voice that why. Speak it out loud. Write it down. I do not like doing laundry because. And then write down what you think. And it might be ridiculous. It might be something that you never considered. But rather than just make the assumption of i don't like this because or, or, or i just don't like this it's i don't like this because why mm-hmm. what are the reasons and it doesn't have to be a logical reason it can be a logical right. it can be i feel like this yeah and that's the thing it could be i don't like doing laundry because i feel like there's a monster in the corner like because you felt that way as a kid in the, the basement lights up. buzz and make me or, uncomfortable where yeah. you're yeah. sitting dumped out in the corner at one point and now you just associate it yeah exactly. you know? or that one time i put a red sock in and everything turned pink and i got yeah. grounded or 
Yeah, they're a negative association. And it could be something like that. But it's, it's like I said, how many times has a client said, I've never actually given voice to that? And right. it's part of that right. whole thing. Why don't you like doing this thing? What, how do you feel when leading up to it? How do you feel when you're doing it? Because personally speaking, a lot of the things that I avoid, right. that I don't like to do, once I'm doing it, sometimes I even enjoy it. And that's right. the wildest thing. Because sometimes it could just be a little shift if you identify yeah. what it is that's irking you about the what, task. What is stopping you from beginning? The root cause yeah. of, of your like negative association with it. Sometimes it can be the smallest shift to change and your relationship with it. It's voicing that 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 thing, whatever it may be, that's so effective because is it the is it the starting that you have a problem with? Mm. Is it the you're excited to do it until you do it and then you don't enjoy it? And then why? Well, and actually give voice to all these things. It's as right. simple as it being boring. Mm -hmm. Or tedious. Yeah, in which case that's how, easy to fix. Exactly. It how like, do you fix that? That's all yeah. it is. What else can you do to stimulate your mind? Yeah. Like, you know, pod I burned through podcasts and audiobooks and online courses and yeah. right. Yeah, 100%. And that's and for some people, it may be that, that they they do better when they have social interaction yes. while doing yeah. a task, like not call me personally, but <laughs> yeah, call yeah. a friend. Yeah. Well, experiment with it, right? Like yes, permission you know, also... to experiment. People that comes with that failure thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have to do it the right way. Well, there right. is really no right what is way. Right way. Well, yeah. All of life is a big experiment. And the more we can embrace that and get comfortable with that, it's, it's all a trial and error and a process mm -hmm. to find out what works for each individual in each circumstance and each environment. It's all just a big experiment. So and also with that, it's like looking at it and being like, okay, hold on. I also don't have to do it in any one specific order, right? Mm -hmm. Like right. Some people might wash their pants every single time they wear them. Other people might find that they can get three wears in, right? It all yeah. depends. And, and also, right? Like I have a friend who has just leaned into and accepted the clean laundry pile that their family all just digs through. Right. And it, they're all used to it. It doesn't Instead of imposing some rule on <laughs> yourself. Yeah. Exactly. there by society or some voice somewhere along the way right you get to decide for yourself how you want your life to look how you want your chores to look how you want your laundry That's... to look <laughs> one of the things yeah. i read one time is that you're an adult you can literally go outside and just lick leaves and the universe <laughs> will just be all all right it literally changes nothing and it literally just nothing time. They're... Except for maybe like if you catch something. So here's <laughs> here's a secret for everybody that I learned relatively recently, and that's no one has any idea what's going on. No one has any <laughs> idea how to people, and or we're why all fucking here, or why we're here, and we're all just <laughs> making up arbitrary rules along the way. So if you want to pick your laundry out of a pile, are you saying there's no authority? There's no expert. There's no. Yeah, it's almost right. like that. It's so... almost like being a human is an individual experience. And if you want to keep your laundry in the pile, you go ahead and keep that laundry in a pile. If that's so, how you people. I'm a huge fan of Kurt Vonnegut. Like, oh, yeah. 
huge. And yeah. one of my favorite quotes of his, actually all of them are my favorites, but this, I, I tell you, we are here on earth to fart around and don't let anybody tell you different. And it's like, yeah. but like he was super successful, and all he did was like derp around, like always. And, yeah. and I feel like honestly, like leaning into that builds success because, yeah. like, I mean, it's genuine. Me, before I well, figured it out, I had this big depression episode, right? And then I was like, okay, I'm gonna spend time working on, you know, like being more comfortable in my body, and then everything started coming together when I like figured out like what was going on with myself more you know like mm -hmm. you, you you drive yourself in the right direction to be happy yeah right exactly. i think that that quote takes the pressure off but mm -hmm. but there are also people who feel very much driven to do something specific while they're here yeah. and that's well, that's part of their that's happiness legitimate too right yeah, so exactly. i think it's really about just embracing who you are who you and are what specific. your personal for some that's, people, yeah, it may no, that's their farting around. It may be yeah. very um, driven and ambitious, and like they feel like even if they don't know what it is, they may feel a great drive to be doing mm -hmm. something specific. Or, well, as long as the reasons for that, I find a lot of people their reasons they think that that's what's going on, and like there's two, there are people that are actually like that, but I think a lot of people are being driven by like a shame machine, right? Like you mm -hmm. have to- right. The hustle culture and- Your productivity is connected directly to your worth. Yeah. Right, so the productivity you, over health. Before yeah. you decide that you're that kind of person, really sit with it and look at it. Mm -hmm. Are you, how, and a, a hint about it is that self-talk, right? How are you talking to yourself when you don't do the thing successfully in the way you want it done mm -hmm. are you like oh man i guess i'll try again tomorrow or are you like you piece of shit? i can't yeah. believe it like <laughs> you know what i mean like what is wrong with you you can't do anything right like, and it has to be stressed no. we talk about <laughs> self-talk and this isn't a, a a switch you can just flip no. this is some it's a skill you have to practice mm -hmm. even myself even after having done this for a while I still have to catch myself in those moments where I Absolutely. all of a sudden get angry at myself. And it's, it's literally a matter of thinking like you fuck. No, how can I reword that? I made it into a game because I have to do that with everything. How can I reword you sucked ass at that to something positive? You'll do better at that next time you're learning, what? you're improving. Right. What yeah. have I learned here? What did I do better and than actually, last time? What will Actually, I do better next time? This, Jess and I did MLP training together. And mm. this was one of the things that was a huge impact, right? The law of flexibility, okay? Mm. This is one of my favorite laws that has ever existed in the social known universe, okay? Basically- Necessary for neurodivergence. Right, yeah. oh my God, yes. And, and the power when you realize the power of this, okay? So it's literally been proven that the person in the situation that is the most flexible mm -hmm. is the person that is going to have the most power. Yes. Okay. So your power is not in fear. It's in flexibility. That's actually that in the art of war. Yeah. The more you <laughs> yeah. can ebb and flow. Uh, so like it's, and the example I always give, and I might've already said it in a different episode, but it's like dealing with bullying as a kid, right? How can you get, get the upper hands, right? 
get weird. Do the thing they're not going to expect you to mm -hmm. do. Yes. Completely be yep. nonsensical and confuse the shit out of them. Yep. And then they're going to be like, I don't I, I no longer know the script of this situation. Or, or, right? Like, if they say something to you that's mean and they're like, oh, you're so short and gross, blah. And you're like, yeah, man, I know that about myself. You know? I, this is just how I was born. I've had to learn to accept it, but like, I, I hear you. And then they're like, what? Like, you're not getting anything out of this? Like, mm -hmm. this isn't, I want you to hurt because I hurt. And yeah. you're not hurting, so maybe I don't have to either? Like, it really like existential crisis is yourself into safety. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was totally that guy, like, crack a joke in an awkward situation it changes the entire vibe i'm i am very and all of my clients that listen will absolutely know this i'm the first one to crack a joke about pretty much anything even in session i have been known to make a joke in hypnosis i don't care if you laugh that's fine i'll just give the, the suggestion that laughter deepens your trance it's whatever. What do they say about comedians, Jay Robert? I mean, a lot of things. <laughs> half of them not good. <laughs> but it's the, the well, real the thing. the most resilient go... people, the most, it's been proven, the people that are the most resilient tend to have, like, a bigger sense of humor or they use humor more yes. frequently. Because, well, like, you can't yeah. get through things without it. If you're just taking everything seriously all the time, that sounds awful. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you just realize how ridiculous the whole human experience is, right? Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> and we we talked a little bit about this yesterday, and there's a weird lens I put all of my practice through. And it's because I'm very concerned. Like, am I is, is the the. What I'm I'm telling people, is that just limited to privileged Western society or is this like human advice that I'm giving? And I, I think to myself, because I watch a lot of like foreign journalism and things like that. Let's say that this was somebody in like the Congo or Syria, somebody that lives in war. Does what I say to them have value? Is it is it good advice? And I find that that's what I do to try to keep my message. I don't know what it'd be pure or primal, primal applicable. I guess because I noticed that or inclusive, I, I guess. Yeah, because I noticed as I was watching and these also like divergent. <laughs> yeah, as I was watching these documentaries or these these news reports, I would see people in hell, like just absolute hell, still laughing, still smiling, still making off color jokes. And that's kind of one of those things that solidified humor for me because i've been in some dark places in my life and that's what kept me going i was the one still mm -hmm. smiling when everyone else thought that everything was over gallows humor i guess is what it's called mm -hmm. yeah. i'm the i'm the guy that would make a dick joke at my hangman that's just how it is with me and it made me realize a lot about that mindset a lot about using humor and laughter to mm -hmm. to keep that light because yeah. we don't know, we don't even know why we laugh. Like we have theories, mm -hmm. but we don't know why it is. The the well, best theory yeah. I've heard is the diffusal. 
Right. That's what I was yeah. going to say. That's what tears are for as well. It's a yeah. balance of hormonal chemicals, right? Well, a we're release pack, in we're a pack way. Animals. And... Like we, we to be human way back when we're pack animals. And we let's still say, are. I mean, yeah, we still are. The, the individualism is completely a joke, but so say we were walking around as a pack and there was a noise in the bush and everyone gets scared. And all of a sudden, the person next to the bush sees a rabbit jump out. What do they do? They laugh. And what does that laughter say? Everything's okay. Everything's yeah. fine. We're still all right. And, and so it's like a nervous system regulating. Yes. And one of the things oh. that really stuck out to me was like cancer patients. I remember seeing this, I think it was a documentary on this woman that when she got diagnosed, the first thing she did was rent a new comedy movie every day and would just yeah. laugh with her husband. And she yeah. overcame stage four cancer that way. And it could be luck of the draw. She was just the lucky one. But at or, least she was enjoying herself. At least through she the was enjoying it. That that is kind of thing. Thing. Right? That's the bottom line is how yeah. can you find joy in this process? And when I, because cleaning right. is one, and organizational tasks like that are my biggest issue structure in general right i mean when i'm focused i'm really good at it but i don't want to yeah. so what how can i i that's what i ask myself how can i make this fun, fun. yeah right? well, how could you put joy in this process in this thing because you have to do it yeah i mean if, yeah. if you want to get naked and listen to loud music to do dishes if that's what makes it fun for you that's what makes it fun oh. for you it's a, it's not specific i'm not like giving away my own routine or anything <laughs> sure and sure and i feel like i i'm like outing myself for something right now but it's just an example i don't well, want any ideas <laughs> I think Jess and I talked about this at one point too, like taking showers, I'll put the tub up on and I'll just sit in it and I call it Shower a mermaid bath. bath. Right, <laughs> I call it a mermaid bath because it reminds me of that scene in the movie Peter Pan where there's, which is problematic, the whole movie's problematic, but anyway, um, <laughs> where the mermaids are sitting at the waterfall. I don't know why that's where my brain goes, but it does. So I call it a mermaid bath. And so I'll literally, like, if I don't want to shower, I'll do a mermaid bath and I'll literally sit on the floor for the whole shower. I'll just sit on the bottom of the tub and wash my hair. Well, I can't yeah. help but wonder how much of that is really primal because it is the sensation as close, like a man-made sensation of the sense of being in a waterfall and yeah. the, the pool at the bottom of a waterfall in yeah. nature. Is there so, anything more magical than that? Right? Yeah, well, try turning and it's a good example of reframing. Oh, I never have the lights on, by the way, in the shower. Um, occasionally, like, Be I, safe, open, I feel bad about <laughs> not having falling in the bathroom. Yeah, I'll be fine. But no, this is an excellent example of reframing a task, of just a basic mm -hmm. reframing. And adding those things to that experience, to whatever it is that you don't want to do, to make it into a joy an enjoyable experience and right that's so why i said voice i don't like x because y and then you know another way especially for people who have like um time distortion or problems um with time management in their executive <laughs> functioning that <timers>. me. <laughs> i mean you yeah. know no 
like if you really have an aversion to chores and you have a time management or time distortion issue, you can just set a timer for five minutes and do everything you can get done in five minutes and then give yourself a little Google calendar and a stopwatch has saved my life. Also, here's a trick. Okay. Tell yourself that you're going to do it for five minutes. Don't set a timer and then keep (laughs) going because you don't have a concept of time that will stop you and then it's done. Yep. Yep, no, Make that's, sure you have that's a timer set if one. you have an appointment coming up, though. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, like, you know that I live you gotta pick up the kids. Or... With as little time-based obligation as possible. And I'm actually <laughs> coming up with a whole model on it because I can't be the only, like, so Jess and I are both very opposite ends of this, like, uh, time schedule spectrum. So it's kind of funny because, like, she thrives and needs and to function well i mean also you know the way that our lives are right that scheduling really is cathartic for you i am literally incapable like i had to just let go of the fact that i can't fucking schedule my life like that and and so now i'm creating this process that i'm calling deep presence for now anyway where it's about the now because that's Mm -hmm. all i can handle okay that is the only like, why am I trying to not be deeply present with my life when that's the natural tool I was given to experience it? Mm-hmm. Why am I resisting it? So, yes, uh, it does have, like, of course, there are some things that I need to do in a timely fashion. But when I minimize those tasks, because sometimes we implement those on ourselves, right? By saying, like, oh, I need to do this by this time. Do you? Do you right. Need to? Shitting on yourself. <laughs> I have when a quote I, for this. <laughs> Yeah. So it's Alan Watts for for those of you I listening. Love Alan, Watts. Alan Watts is amazing. If those of you listening have never listened to Alan Watts's lectures, highly recommend it. But you you started mentioning the present, and I saw this recently, and it stuck out to me, and I saved it. It says we are living in a culture entirely hypnotized by the illusion of time, in which the so-called yes. present moment is felt as nothing but an infinitesimal hairline between a causative past an absorbingly important future. We have right. no present. Our consciousness is almost completely preoccupied with memory and expectation. Mm. Yeah, and, exactly. Well, and, and what Molly was saying is a beautiful example of how we have to embrace what works for us because yeah. when I have a structure within to work, I can be present i can be spontaneous i can be in the moment but when i don't have enough structure then i am more obsessing about Mm -hmm. wait what's supposed to be happening what what needs to be done there you know so yeah it's harder to be present yeah exactly what helps so so it's really important that we that we help people recognize what works for them and it's mm-hmm. not the same for everyone and not exactly. worry about the future and what happened in the past just do it in right. this moment this moment is different and well some people future. gain a lot from reflection and that is a mm-hmm. natural part of okay. who they are too Absolutely. so well, i find reflection super important as well that's no i i mean more in my like physical world because i am not I'm one of those people that, like, I am so in my head and in the clouds, not in, like, a self-deprecating way, but in a daydream fantasy way, right? Like, like, (laughs) I am not, I have 
club daydream. Very ungrounded. I cannot tell you how many times my partner has said, I looked you in the face and said that, and you <laughs> nodded your head. I was like, one there. Just one there. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yeah, no. First exactly. to Jess. Yeah. And, like, so I, I find, like, this practice that the deep presence that I'm doing is really about just connecting with my, like, my physical world around me. I mean, also, yes, with emotions, right? But that comes more naturally to me. So I tend to focus more on the external environment that I've struggled with connecting to. And I, I will be like, oh, okay, well, I know, like, I am comfortable when the, doing all the dishes at once when the sink is this full and I'm seeing it's this full. So I'm going to do them. And it's got nothing to do with obligation and everything to do with this serves me, mm -hmm. right? Just uh. like I know that I get, I, I'm miserable if I don't get a certain amount of sleep at night. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I also know that like, depending on where my son is at during the day, he's going to wake up at night. Right. So I gauge it like to serve me, here's what I need to do. And when you make it about serving your own life, instead of shaming yourself, because, because I get behind on dishes and I'm never like, like mad at myself about it anymore. I used to be, I used to, mm -hmm. I literally have, thrown dishes away like a laundry basket full of dishes i have put in a dumpster yeah, because i do not yep. do it yep. i have 100 done that and i would hide it like yep. a psycho like, yep. like nasty dishes the, from the, the dishes are done man <laughs> for so, good forever right so and then I'm like, well now i don't have dishes so kind of as a as a wrapping up here what i wanted to want to do since we kind of talked a lot about executive functioning and peopling today is each of us kind of give a little piece of advice either from our own lives as to how we function better or something that we would tell a client i mean right it's it happens i'll go first if that's any that's any consolation um so i mean that's that's fine and that's the thing is it doesn't have to be something you think about we've all struggled with executive functioning and what is something that you have done personally in your own life to to kind of accommodate to yourself better and mm -hmm. mine was uh like i said that the scheduling but not like stringent scheduling because I noticed the, the job I had before this, um, I was just basically on call every day, quite literally. So I just sat by the phone, waited for calls. And I finally left that job partially because that situation drove me insane. Not knowing what I was going to do. I, I only knew I had to be here. I didn't have my tasks. Whereas opposed to now, I have my week planned out professionally and halfway personally because the scheduling exists more for professional means. But it was having that tangible thing, writing those things out. Like I said, Google Calendar and a stopwatch absolutely saved my life. And again, this isn't advice that would necessarily work for everyone. There's people like right. Molly that 
you cannot schedule anything. There's people like Wait, Jess. I can a few things. Well, one can. But she showed up here on time. Yeah, she does. That's the thing. And I, I, Molly talks what? about how she can't schedule or anything. I've never had Molly be late to a right? single thing. Except <laughs> my, that, this is my piece of advice. Uh, accept yourself where you're at. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because once you make room for where you're at and you learn to figure out how to love yourself there, I love myself despite the fact, not just despite the fact, but because authentically who I am, mm -hmm. I might as well love, right? Because yes. I'm stuck mm -hmm. in this flesh prison. I might yep. as well be <laughs> with it and not just hate myself the whole time I'm here, right? Absolutely. Um, so, like, figure out how to love yourself where you're at. And then everything else becomes a little bit easier, right? I can make it on time for the things that I have scheduled with a time obligation without a problem because I don't fill my life with all of these unnecessary time obligations mm -hmm. and even with like my kids appointments and my appointments and things like that, I make sure to sprinkle them out unless I can do them back to back and I don't have to leave. And it feels like one big appointment. Yep. I will be like, okay, like my kids went to the dentist. So now I got to wait a little bit and then I'll go to the dentist when I like have space. Yep. Right. Accommodating for that space. Right. That's a big one. Absolutely. And it's, right? it's the recognition. There's that emotional labor and shame that is removed. And now I have more executive functioning to apply to the things that are important. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, I think that giving yourself permission mm -hmm. to, if something isn't working for you with your executive functioning, to try something else. And to give yourself grace in that trial and error and not beat yourself up if you go through even you know a dozen two dozen three dozen different trials before you find the thing that works for you always encourage and then, yourself yeah. or you could be and spending then, the rest of your life doing this and be okay mm -hmm. with that and that's that okay right right it's and also permission to communicate about it mm -hmm. because so often a part of that like uh, negative self-talk comes from a disconnect with the humans in your life about what you're doing, what you're experimenting with, what, and, and like, uh, you guys said earlier that from the outside, it may look really different. What you're going through may look really different from the outside. Yep. So if you can begin to say, Hey, I'm trying this new thing to support myself in a, B, C, D, you know, in my life. And I just wanted to let you know, that's like what's going on. And, um, you know, next week I may try something different if this doesn't work, but, you know, communicating with the different people, like you said, when you schedule an appointment, Hey, I actually can only schedule appointments on this day. You actually don't have to explain to anyone why you're doing it, no. what you're doing, it. but if you want to, you can. It's like <laughs> a step know. in the process, right? Like at first yeah. I used to over explain. And then I realized yeah. that yeah. I was at a point where it would benefit me to learn to just be like, thanks for understanding. Yep. This is, <laughs> yes. this is my rule. This is my thing. This is how right? I work. Because there's no, people won't question it. And if they do, yeah. it's, it's a personal thing for them, right? Yes. It's not about yeah. you. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's defining those things. So awesome, guys. Well, this has been always fun hanging out and having a talk with you guys. I, uh. I want to remind everyone, 
listening to remember to like and subscribe to us on youtube follow us on anchor and all of the numerous places were propagated as an audio podcast um follow us on facebook all of that good stuff and as usual if you guys ever have any questions about anything we've said you want to reach out to us uh go to the website hypnodivergence.com reach out to us hypnodivergence at gmail.com otherwise thank you very much guys y'all have anything you want to say um yeah I, I know we've talked about putting any resources down below that we discussed. Mm-hmm. I put down below because there'll be a down below. Yeah. But, um, and I'll try to get my blog post up because I know we referenced that earlier mm-hmm. um, by the time that this goes out. Yes. And so we can put it down below. Perfect. But either way, it'll be at hedgewitchhypnosis.com at some point. Yep. And again, go to the website. It has all of our individual Mm -hmm. link trees how to get a hold of us all of that good stuff so all right well guys thank you very much for tuning in thank you all for joining me and i will talk to you guys next time this has been the hypnodivergence podcast bye